Hello and welcome to Nangya Anderson's podcast series. I am Shravani Raguram. Today we are endeavoring to engross our audience on the newly implemented overseas direct investment rules that would empower the Indian investors to break through the regulatory hurdles linked with overseas investments. To brush up and pave our way through the old and new regime of overseas direct investments, we have with us Sandeep Junjunwala, who is a partner with the M&A Tax and Regulatory Team at Bangalore and the national head of the Emerging Laws practice of the firm. Hi Sandeep, to begin with, could you briefly mention the eye-catching provisions captured in the new ODI rules? Thanks, uh, Shravani, and hello everyone. Uh, at the beginning to lay a context, uh, the central government of India along with the RBI has been progressively simplifying the procedures and also rationalizing the rules and regulations to operationalize the new overseas investment regime. It's clear that uh, with, with these new regulations coming into picture, the earlier regulations in relation to transfer or issue of any foreign security and also in relation to acquisition and transfer of immobile property outside India, those rules and regulations are getting subsumed and the new regulations are going to override the earlier regulations. To answer your questions, some of the key highlights that I personally feel in relation to this substantially deregulated new ODI regime includes the most important one is about a definitional clarity on multiple concepts related to overseas investment say for instance financial commitment, financial service regulator, net worth, ODI, OPI. The second most important one is about a general permission which has been given for deferment of payment in relation to any R to NR transfer or NR to R transfer of foreign securities but these are subject to certain conditions like the period of deferment has to be decided upfront, consideration has to be you know compliant with the pricing guidelines valuation has to be done upfront, the securities have to be transferred upfront. So th there are certain underlying conditions post which deferment of payment is possible. There is a one year lock-in period which is mandated for any ODI to be divested. Pricing guidelines and valuation requirements are prescribed for all outbound investment transactions. And uh, to ease up the burden, there is an introduction of LSF for reporting delays which has been made more clear. There is a uh, guideline which has been issued that there, there are thresholds which have been specified for multiple reporting delays so i think overall i feel that this is a much liberalized regime and an important clarification that also finds place in this regulation is about the overseas investment which has been done as per the erstwhile regulations are all grandfathered right earlier overseas investment included direct investments outside india loans and guarantees uh, also, portfolio investments were specifically excluded from the definition of ODI and only listed companies were permitted to invest 50% of their net worth in shares and bonds issued by the listed overseas company. So currently, a lot is actually being discussed on the definitional clarity brought about in the new definition of overseas investment. So could you briefly throw some light on the same? Actually, the new rules define overseas investment by segregating them into two buckets. The first bucket is financial commitment and the second one is overseas portfolio investment. Uh, financial commitment includes overseas direct investment ODI, debt other than OPI and non-fund based facilities. So if we look at the definition of ODI, it includes investment in unlisted equity capital, 
and any investment which is made by way of subscription to MOA or if it is a case of investing in a listed foreign company then it has to be greater than or equal to 10% of paid up equity capital. If it is less than 10% paid up capital but with control then that also gets qualified as ODI as far as investment in a listed foreign entity is concerned. Now very important is to understand the definition of control. It means the right to appoint majority directors or to control management policy decisions which are exercisable directly or indirectly by virtue of shareholding management or shareholder agreements or voting rights which is more than or equal to 10%. So this is a very important definition in the, in the new regime. The new rules also specifically define overseas portfolio investment to include investment other than ODI. So anything which is less than 10% equity capital without control in a listed foreign entity as I said will get classified as OPI. If there is an investment which is made in listed debt instruments of a foreign entity that also gets classified as OPI. Uh, there is also a mention of reinvestment which means that OPI proceeds are exempted from repatriation provisions as long as those proceeds are reinvested within the time specified for realization and repatriation. So technically if a money is invested in any foreign security as OPI then there is no need to repatriate it back into India if it is reinvested within the time permitted into any other foreign security. Also one important clarification that finds its shelter in the regulation is that if a OPI in equity capital of a listed foreign company is made then it will continue to remain as OPI even if the listed foreign company gets delisted at any time in the future. So once an OPI will always remain an OPI. So now that we understand ODI and OPI Sandeep, what are the relevant changes brought about in the new rules that could affect Indian entities explicitly? So here in relation to ODI as per the new rules, the total financial commitment made by an Indian entity in all the foreign entities taken together at the time of undertaking such commitment cannot exceed 400% of its net worth. An important change is the, about the concept of utilizing the net worth. So earlier uh, there was a provision to apply the net worth of group entities as well. Now the concept is of utilizing the net worth of the Indian entity only on a standalone basis. Also, the definition of net worth is now aligned with that of the Companies Act to mean paid up share capital and all reserves which are created out of profits, which earlier included only paid up capital and free reserves. So ODI in a foreign uh, entity is to be, you know, reckoned based on this net worth calculation. As far as OPI is concerned, OPI in any foreign entity cannot be more than 50% of the net worth of the Indian entity. Also, uh, in the case of uh, a person who is a resident in India having an ODI in a foreign entity, the person is required to realize and repatriate all type of dues into India within 90 days. So if there is any dividend or sales proceed on account of transfer of shares, those proceeds have to be repatriated back into India within a period of 90 days from the date of that transaction. So as we speak of ODI by Indian entities, one cannot overlook the ODI-FDI structures that are predominantly implemented. So how are the new regulations backing up such structures? 
to briefly understand odi fdi structures mean a situation where a resident individual or an indian entity invests in a foreign entity that already has a direct or indirect investment in india in the new rules those structures have spelled out where up to two layers of subsidies don't require rbi approval this is obviously a welcome move as these structures required rbi approval previously however we still need clarity on whether those structures beyond two layers will still require a rbi approval or not but one important point here is that opi structures are not mentioned under this restrictions and therefore no limit on the number of layers of subsidiary exist in case of opi transactions also sandeep earlier opi by resident individuals was done under lrs route but such position was actually ambiguous on account of an absence of definition or thresholds under the regulations so what are the additions made in the new rules to bring in transparency on resident individual transactions this is a, a very relevant question for the individual investors so as per the new rules odi plus opi by a resident individual has to be within the lrs limit of 250000 us dollars per financial year as an alternate uh, individuals can come together in a corporatized way set up an llp and then invest up to 400% of the net worth of the llp this is just meant to enhance the limit of the individual by 4x by capitalizing a entity which is llp in this example that i said and then investing overseas this is a possible route um, you know if someone had to invest you know beyond the lrs limit in a individual capacity now odi is allowed only in operating foreign entity which is not engaged in financial services activity this has been explicitly mentioned in the guidelines additionally the resident individual should not have a control in the foreign entity if that foreign entity has a subsidiary in india so this again has been explicitly brought out under the regulations also we see a concept of deemed opi in the new regime to give you an example any amount of investment in foreign unlisted security is considered as odi but in the case of sweat equity or esop schemes or minimum qualification shares for example if the investment is less than 10% without control that would be considered as deemed opi it's important because in cases of deemed opi the reporting related uh, provisions are different as compared to odi it's also important to note that resident individuals are not permitted to invest in any listed or unlisted debt outside india what remains unclarified is about the transition provisions of the existing lrs portfolio into the odi under the current regulations so there probably a little bit of guidance is required around the reporting and filing requirements could you elaborate further on the you know the trivial changes made to overseas investment framework that could possibly impact acquisition of foreign securities by individuals so in this case previously general permission was granted to resident individuals to acquire foreign securities as gift from nr or by way of inheritance from uh, r or nr such transactions were subject to lrs limit and there was no reporting requirement now what happens under the new rules the new rules restrict the erstwhile liberal gift provisions 
and as per the new rules acquisition of foreign securities by a resident individual by way of gift from a resident non relative is not permitted it is permitted only from relatives from non relatives it is not permitted also the transfer of shares acquired by a resident relative or non relative by way of gift to any non resident is not permitted so these these are important changes uh, there is a additional level of compliance where resident individuals acquiring foreign securities by way of gift from a non resident be it a relative or a non relative they are required to comply with the fcra reporting provisions this new requirement would create a compliance burden on the resident individuals as the fcra regulations have annual returns they have reports which are all backed up by a ca certificate these are the provisions in relation to gifting in relation to inheritance provisions they remain the same so a general permission is granted to resident individuals to acquire foreign securities by way of inheritance from a resident or a non resident also under the new provisions uh, transactions of gift and inheritance are not subject to lrs uh, limit those transactions are also not required to be reported under the odi framework but as i mentioned in in cases of you know gifting transactions those possibly have to be reported under fcra regulations so over the recent years we know that investment in startups has boomed significantly so what are the quintessential pointers that indian investors should keep in mind while investing in overseas startup firstly the new regime does not uh, define the term startup generally a startup definition is linked to what it is as per the domestic laws of a particular country i think uh, it's important that there is some clarity which is provided as to what would be considered as a startup for the purpose of overseas investment by indian entities or by resident individuals but uh, a important mention about the restriction is under the new regulations odi in startups are required to be made by in, by an indian entity only from the internal accruals and in the case of resident individuals only from own funds there is a certification requirement from the stat auditor or the chartered accountant of the indian entity or the resident uh, individual which will validate the source of investment funds into the overseas company so this is a very very important uh, highlight of the new regime of odi and opi now one important catch point here would be to contemplate whether these changes uh, and restrictions as far as investment in startup is concerned would also impact the isop transactions as well right thank you sandeep the revamped rules definitely seem to be a welcome move you know providing clarity on various aspects of overseas investments by indian entities some of these clarifications actually have been long awaited by a lot of stakeholders and i'm sure they would definitely reinforce faith of indian investors in the government's commitment to promote ease in making such investments